It's fair to say that the Manx fishing industry has had its ups and downs and certainly has been struggling in recent years. There does appear to be calmer weather ahead for Manx fishermen though, with fish stocks improving, good scientific knowledge and advice now available and renewed political interest in the value and opportunities Manx fisheries offer. Can we expect Kipper or Queenie Wars with our neighbours or is the new collaborative inclusive approach to fisheries management likely to land bigger portions on Manx plates? I'm joined this week by Peter Duncan, Senior Marine Environment Officer at DEFA, Jack Emerson, Sea Fisheries Policy Manager at DEFA, David Beard, CEO of the Manx Fish Producers Organisation, and fisheries scientist Isabel Bluer from Bangor University. I began by asking David about Isla Gale, a teenager who has won awards and praise for entering the fishing industry. Yeah, well, she's been uh, part of a fishing family on the Isle of Man and uh, was encouraged to go fishing on uh, her father's boat early early in, in her career, really, when she was 13, 14. She always wanted to be a, a, a fisherman, as she wants to be called a fisherman. So, um, she always wanted to be a fisherman, and uh, she really went straight into the training programme that we had available and also got the experience on one of the best boats on the Isle of Man. So uh, she had a really good start to it, and has continued that interest. You know, she's worked really hard. And and part, I suppose, of the, the, the purpose of this programme is to allow people to better understand the fishery. Um, and maybe, uh, Peter, if, if you could uh, tell us, what, what would be the prospects for someone, you know, in their, their mid to late teens thinking about uh, becoming uh, a, a fisherman? Um, what what would you say to them? Would you say, yes, go for it, there's great opportunity ahead, or uh, would you be a bit more cautious? As a civil servant, you're bound to be cautious. Yeah, I, I, I would say that David's probably best to answer a question like that, but I have my own views of it. I think that the industry has changed dramatically over a very short space of time. It's it's really complicated um, um, and, and challenging and a lot of a lot of areas and to take one example the squeeze that that the renewables industry is is putting on on fishing areas um the requirements for um compliance with the multitude of management measures and and laws even the technology um and running running a business in challenging times such as we've seen with covid and brexit and trying to much of our seafood is sold into european markets for example so there's been some massive challenges so it's probably a business for younger people who are quite dynamic and 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 get go but but i think particularly on the island as we'll discuss we are looking forwards the industry is looking forwards and I think if we work together, then there is enormous potential for it. It is a fantastic industry in principle. The sea provides some amazing resources. And if we look after them, they will continue to provide those resources. And all we have to do is to catch them and make sure that they're still there for the future. Um, but that does take an awful lot of background. So I think if everyone can work together from the fishing, the catching sector, the processing sector the managers and the scientists as well as finding space for all these other activities then yes there is a future but it it requires absolute collaboration in what is a really complex sector and and isabel i mean obviously you're you're 
big on the science. Uh, you've been engaged in uh, the, the Manx fishery now for, what will it be, six, seven years, maybe Nine more? Nine years. Nine years, gosh. Um, so, so you, as, as much as anyone, will have a, a good understanding of what's uh, going on. Um, but it's, it's quite a complex t- task um, as a scientist trying to understand uh, what's, what's happening underneath the, the water in, in a fishery which could be being prosecuted over quite a large area uh, you only get to see sort of sh- snapshots of what's there and, and uh, it's, it's a complex job Yes, I agree. Um, you know, we have uh, a lot of things going on in terms of survey work and research um, to help assist with those kind of things. So we have um, a research survey, for example, for scallops that goes on um, every year. But it's not just um, so that's one that takes place in a research vessel. But more and more we're engaging with industry and industry are helping with that science. So, um, you know, they're a big part of the science now, which is a change from nine years ago when I first started. Um, so we have an industry survey that goes on as well for, um, for scallops. And that allows us to really collect additional information and see at a much finer spatial scale what's going on as well. And also, you know, the fishermen get to be involved in the science and get to um, have a better understanding. So it makes it all a lot easier. And obviously, there's a lot of stuff going on, not just with the scallop fisheries, but um, with the pot fisheries. You know, we're getting a lot more fisheries dependent data, um, but a lot more fisheries independent is um, research is going on in that area as well to really try and help um, understand those uh, species and try and help management as well. Jack, then, maybe uh, you, as the policy manager, um, maybe you could explain um, for those who don't know um, what, what actually do we catch in, in, in our bit of the Irish Sea? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, a lot of people will be aware that the main fisheries that get discussed on the Isle of Man are the scallop and king scallop and queen scallop fisheries. Uh, they are the, by far the most important to the local industry, the majority of boats, um, and contribute the most to the Manx economy. But we have the crab and lobster fishery as well, which are targeted through with, with pots, um, and also the whelk um, fishery that... Again, it's targeted, targeted with pots and a lot of that product gets exported to the Far East as far as uh, Japan. So we do have a diverse range of fish stocks that we that we do take value from. But there are other, other stocks in Banks Waters that are, that are also uh, abundant and sustainably managed. And for example, the herring haddock, um, the herring biomass is, is now well recovered following what a lot of people will be aware of as the decline in the 70s. And that stock there now is two or three times greater than what the scientific assessment would say was a sustainable amount of fish. So there are there are an abundance of uh, fish stocks available in Manx waters. It's uh, it's getting the fleet geared and uh, to to prosecute them and and having access to the quota to to fish for them as well. So and and again, there's Dave. I mean, the I think most people's understanding of what uh, fishermen do is they catch fish and fish have uh, tails and uh, scales and fins and things. Um, uh, but your fisherman, uh, the Manx Fish Producers Organisation, doesn't really do much of, of that, uh, of catching that kind of fish. It's more the shellfish that uh, that uh, you're engaged with. Yeah, I mean, the, the basic reason is we, we fish for, for what are called non-quota species. Um, and they're the ones that don't have a, a quota set by um, originally the, the EU. Um, and uh, the reason for that being is that uh, we don't actually have uh, sufficient quantities of 
of quota for the quota species, such as cod, plaice, haddock, monkfish, um, all the sort of fish that you would eat in fish shops or restaurants or and everything. Um, we don't have quota for those, or very limited quota. So the, the, certainly the level of quota we got isn't enough to have a viable fishery and also to process it on the Isle of Man. And that's something that we really feel that is is wrong. Um, we're part of the uh, we have to be part of the UK uh, quota pool for all of these species. Um, so uh, we have to be almost granted the permission to go and fish for those species with a with a, a certain amount of quota. And uh, what we need is a, a fixed amount of quota for an, for a long period of time, so that we can develop an industry based on those fish. So, how, so how, do you, how do you get the quota then? Well, uh, at the moment, it's uh, largely based on what, on what are called FQA units, and that's a quota allocation, fisheries quota allocation. And uh, we we have historically we have very few of those. It's only that we've ones that we've bought on the open market over the last twenty or so years. Um, but we're we're quite a small organisation in terms of uh, compared to the UK, and so we can't we can't outbid the UK. Uh, other uh, producer organisations when any quota does become available. So the only real access we've got is to be granted that uh, um, quota from UK. Um, there's a certain amount of additional quota available post-Brexit um, and a fair amount of that was for the RSC and uh, we've seen practically nothing of that so far and it's something that we've, we've really got to well, we have been working on to try and, and fix. So Peter Peter Duncan, then, um, this sounds to me like a department-related issue then. Um, you know, we know that the Fisheries Management Agreement um, gives the Isle of Man government the uh, control over our um, north to 12 miles, um, provided that we uh, discuss reasonably and behave reasonably with... Uh, uh, fishermen that have, have visited the island uh, for for many uh, years, you know, so we, you can't just exclude them because they aren't from the Isle of Man, for example. Um, but th- that would indicate, uh, surely, that um, uh, w- we we could have our own quota regime. Why would Isle of Man government not want to do that? Um, so I can answer a little bit of that, but I think Jack's probably best for that. You, you're right in saying that. So originally the territorial sea, which runs out to 12 nautical miles um, from the island, um, originally we had the not to three mile area, um, and that was that was Manx territory. And then the three to 12 area was then negotiated, particularly with, with the UK, um, for all sorts of things, the seabed itself, the mineral rights, the, the hydrocarbons, etc., um, but because fish move and fishermen were never fixed in one particular place, then, um, as you say, the fisheries management agreement was set up uh, with the UK um, to help the Isle of Man, which has always been an independent jurisdiction, to to engage with the UK and and hence uh, the the EU. Um, and that that agreement helped helped balance um, the rules on both sides of, of boundaries and all of these things. And I, I, I guess where what you're saying and the way the discussion has gone that a lot has changed. The, the UK has left the EU. Um, it's now an independent coastal state, and the negotiations for things like quota are um, are now a thing that that that, that can be entered into. And, and obviously, the Isle of Man plays catch up a little bit because we're 
we we don't unilaterally change these things. So I think it's safe to say that we recognise that the the world has changed, and the department is is engaged with the UK in 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 trying to bring the arrangements into the twenty first century, and for us. As, as an island with, with a significant territorial sea and fish stocks in it to get a, a, a more equitable share of that as, as we see it. But that, that is quite a long process. And Jack, then, uh, this is something that you're actively engaged with. Hmm. Yeah, certainly. And, and also with David as well, uh, we've worked closely on looking at what... Um, what fishing opportunities are available post Brexit? Because obviously, those all of the, those the uh, what they call the relative stability mechanism. Whilst the UK was in the EU and the fishing opportunities were set and allocated between the member states according to a certain set of rules, the negotiations leading up to the Brexit uh, period meant that have meant that um, there are additional fishing opportunities available, um, and that that covers massive areas of the northeast atlantic but actually there are significant opportunities additional opportunities available in the irc and when you look at where these fish stocks are um resident or transient um our territorial sea is actually home to uh, a lot of these fish and fishing activity occurs in it and so we're working with david to identify what stocks of interest uh, and, and what an equitable share would look like. You know, it's it's one thing to get the quota, but it's another thing to A, catch them, B, process them, and C, make some money out of them, which is ultimately what the, uh, the fishing industry would be interested in, as well as the sustainability and the science and the social aspects of it. So, yeah, we're working closely with David to to pursue this, and the, uh, the department all the way up through the government really are, are well tuned into what uh, the the priorities of the industry are and what the opportunities are ahead of us. So Dave, you, you, your members um, don't fancy uh, getting engaged in Kipper wars or anything like this and um, blockading our, our waters to visiting vessels. Um, I think it's been Some talked about. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, what the key thing is we, we do need to be able to diversify. The, the problem with relying just on the five non-quota species is that um, they're seasonal. And uh, we have some periods in the year when we have no fishing opportunities, um, especially in June and, and October. So um, we also need to be able to protect ourselves from our own uh, fishing activity as well. But, um, when the uh, catch rates decline in the king scallop industry, for example, at, towards the end of the season, it will be good to, uh, to be able to diversify into the, uh, the prawn fishery. Um, and again, that would be based on the fact that we would need sufficient quota to be able to be able to make that worthwhile and to be able to spend a large amount of money, which what it would cost, to and, actually and, adapt the boats to it. And I suppose that, that, that that's a, a thing that, uh, having been a fisheries minister, I, I know a bit about, but um, why do you need quota for, for um, to, to be able to catch um, the, the, the nephrops? Well, I mean, basically, if you don't have the quota, you're not allowed to fish. Hmm. It's, it's that simple. So uh, we, in our organisation, we have about 60 tonnes of nephrops quota, uh, prawn quota. It's not enough to be able to have a, a sustainable fishery and one that you can invest in either as a vessel and certainly not as a processor. Mm. And we would need between two and 400 tonnes a year and, and just to put, do that. Just put that in those volumes into perspective, the uh, the nephrops stock to the to the west of the Alamann and the mud belt there is 
is actually the largest population of nephrops in the world. Um, and the scientific advice for the catches there range between eight and 10,000 tons mm. per year. Um, and we reckon that about a third of that is, a, is actually within the Alman Territorial Sea. And so when David talks about 60 tons, just to put it in perspective, you know, it's a, it is a very small amount of the overall opportunity. So nephrops is one, herring is another, and then the, your, your round fish like haddock um, are, are a third sort of area that we're looking at. And we think we could um, pursue these with the, with the types of vessels that we have at the moment, the types of vessels that David's organisation represents. It's just getting the quota and getting over that policy barrier, really, mm. that we're working hard to get, get towards. So, Isabel, I mean, it, it sounds from what uh, everyone's saying here that our bit of the Irish Sea is starting to look a lot more healthy than perhaps it has done for some years. Um, is is that scientifically borne out or um, is this just a, a catching myth or, or uh, how, does it, how, how does it work? Um, well, we're very lucky here, certainly for our scallop species, that we've got very long time series of data so we can look at, um, you know, how these trends are changing over the time. And um, you know, when you were minister, we had uh, a very high level of, uh, for example, scallop stocks around the island um, that were probably unprecedented, really. We hadn't seen that prior and we haven't seen it again. But what we have seen since uh, that decline from that initial boom is with everything that's in place, so industry working together and government working together with us um, to collect the right, you know, uh, very detailed science, is that we now know that we're getting back into a much more um, better uh, position for a lot of these stocks. But, you know, some of it still is... Um, it's not at where we would like to be ultimately with those stocks, but, again, it's quite spatially... Um, discrete for these areas so you know we're getting a good recovery in the areas we're getting good management um to put in place so that we don't um take too much from the areas but yeah it's looking it's looking more positive than it has done for a long time for those scallop species um but again you know it's it's some of it is natural variation that we're still waiting for recruitment to come through so the years when it was very good stock um sort of back in 2011 we had good recruitment for scallops for example across the whole island so everywhere was good to fish and what we've seen since then is we've seen spatial recruitment that's been very high in distinct areas so off the west coast or off the east coast but we haven't seen it um occur at the same time everywhere and that would really allow us to get back to that very high stock level situation. But the difference that's in place now is that we have, um, you know, the science to monitor it and we have the management in place to make sure it doesn't get taken back down again. So, yes, I think, um, yeah, we are getting into a better place. And the more, as David says, that we can diversify into other fisheries, then it means we're taking the pressure off some of those um, key stocks and allowing them the time to recover as well. But, yeah, the science is definitely there in place and, and showing that we're getting positive trends. Dave? Yeah, I think the uh, other key thing uh, to add to what Isabel's just said is that the management is now in place that when we do get a large recruitment, we'll be able to manage it much more sustainably than we have in the past. The The key difference being is that we the number of vessels which are entitled to fish for various species, for example, king scallop, is now at the, the most appropriate level. I mean, there was when I first came to this uh, organisation back in 2014, there was about 200 King Scallop uh, vessels, UK and Manx, entitled to fish here. Actually, about between 90 and 110 would fish for, for King Scallops at that time. Um, now, this season, you'll be looking uh, so far this 
since November, 1st of November, there's been 33 vessels that have fished. Gosh. And the total uh, that are entitled to fish is about double that. It's about 60 to 65. Um, but of those, only about 50 to 55 are active vessels at the moment. So um, when we do get this uh, um, increase in, in juveniles, which we will get because it is a cyclical thing, then we'll have the management in place to be able to cope with that. Um, prime example being is that, as I said, 33 vessels this year. And if you look back in to November 2016, when there was a really big fishery off uh, off Peel, there was 88 boats fishing and there was no catch limit. And now there's 33 boats limit, uh, fishing with a catch limit in place. So when we do get that recruitment, the management is definitely going to be in the right place. And, uh, and those boats become profitable. Um, it's all about... It's, really is all about economics and uh, and we will get referring back to one of your previous questions we will get young people coming into the industry when they know they've got a solid industry there and they can make some money which is what everybody you know at least they, they want to be in a profitable industry um, and I think we've got the management in place that when we do get that increase in stock and uh, say it is a cyclical thing then uh, uh, it does look good the future does look good then you're listening to Peter Duncan and Jack Emerson from DEFA, David Beard from the Manx Fish Producers Organisation and Isabel Bluer from Bangor University. In terms of the 33 vessels that are fishing for scallops, how many of those are actually Manx vessels? I think it's 22, I think it is. 20, 20, I think it's 22 that are fishing at the moment, uh, Manx vessels, and it would be 11 UK boats. So that's a significant change from the proportions that we used to have because it used to be primarily uh, UK based vessels mm. with a, a smaller amount of Manx vessels and now the Manx vessels are, are, are um, either much greater proportion. That's the active ones. I mean mm. uh, don't forget that with a catch limit in place some UK boats, the larger ones, won't come here because there's a, the catch limit is not economic level for them. Um, but the, I, I think I'm right in saying that of the 60 to 65 boats that are licensed and 50 to 55 are active, about 50% of those are Manx. Um, so that's in the 3 to 12. Hmm. And then if you look in the 0 to 3, there's I think it's 36 boats are licensed and 29 of those are Manx. Okay. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, uh, in, in the 0 to 3, it, it's, it is basically a, a Manx registered boat fishery hmm. because um, the UK boats that are allowed to be in the fishery in the 0-3 seldom come here at the moment so the 0-3 is is pretty much manx only at the moment and uh and, and we are looking after that and with all the marine nature reserves that are in place there there's about 50 percent of the 0-3 is is protected against mobile fishing this this should be helping to increase the uh standing stock of uh adult scallops that are in the marine nature reserves which then lead to more spat and more settlement more juveniles in the areas that we can fish so, yeah, I think we've got the management in, in place. We just need that recruitment to come. And, uh, um, I mean, this past year we had uh, good recruitment in uh, the Queen Scallops in the, in the Bangor survey. Um, I think that's right, isn't it? Yep. Yes. And, uh, um, and also this year a lot of the boats are reporting that there's a lot of juvenile scallops around in, in most areas around the Isle of Man. Okay. And, uh, Peter, then, uh, I mean, this this sounds as though... In, in some mystical way, uh, the department and the Manx fishery generally seems to have worked miracles because uh, certainly when I was engaged with this, 
Um, it, it was an incredibly difficult job to put a limit on the number of vessels that could fish, um, and certainly the thought that we would uh, find that there would be more Manx vessels uh, able to, to fish than, than UK vessels, this, this would have been an extraordinary thought, and that was only, what, about eight, ten, ten to eight, eight to ten years ago. Mm. Yeah, it, it, it takes time. Um, it, it's been the second attempt, no, the second tranche of process. So the same process was done back in 2016, which reduced the number of boats that really didn't come here and therefore weren't dependent on it. And and that process was, was achieved again. And, and I think it was done via the Scallop Management Board, which is an industry and government and Bangor um, board which meets and discusses the data and finds an evidence base for all of these things. And really the idea was proposed by the Scallop Management Board that that the number of boats should fit the, the, the stock that was available so that they could all make a reasonable living. And I think the reason that we have, it, as, I, as we said, it's taken 30 years perhaps to get to this point, but actually, the use of the evidence that's provided by Bangor, the the sticking to a process and engaging with with the other jurisdictions, mean and doing it in a legal and proper way means that you can actually achieve these things because it's based on 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 data. It's based on a logical process, and and we've got to a point I think where, as David explained. Um, it, it's looking better for the for the number of boats that are available, and I think as again as Isabel mentioned, you've got to build up the stock to make it viable. You've got to limit appropriately the access and the effort of the boats that are in the fishery, and when you add all of those things up, then you get an increasing stock and fewer boats pursuing the the, the stocks, and then they themselves can make a a better profit and that encourages new entrants into the into the system and makes the, the industry viable in the long term and uh, isabel um the 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 I, I suppose the um the, the thing that scientists maybe dread when uh, it is when actually we start seeing boom times and the pressure then comes on on from the fishermen to say well actually we need to open this up because the fish will only be there for a few years and uh, you know, they, once they get past a certain certain age, they're not going to be uh, as, as as valuable, and uh, all all the excuses under the sun come up for 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 catching more and more fish. Um, presumably, now you're reasonably confident that the way in which the king or the the scallop management board works, um, that uh, there are enough checks and balances in place to avoid those pressures, or at least limit the impact of those pressures. Yeah, I think we have one of the best examples now of um, with the Scallop Management Board and everybody involved in it of, you know, a really positive uh, example of how management should take place. So, you know, the industry that are involved in that, then, you know, they they're making uh, decisions and recommendations to the minister. They're often based on sort of a series of guidelines. So we're not reacting to things. And the other thing is we've now got longer term management plans in place, certainly for king scallops. It will be developing for queen scallops and then for other um, species as well. So, you know, we're not just kind of like reacting to what's going on. Uh, we're looking to the future. We're looking at, um, you know, 
how we can make sort of steady changes to the fishery. But a lot of that is coming from the industry members of the board. You know, it's not just uh, us as scientists saying that, you know, this is what needs to happen. There's discussions about this and it's involving everybody. And really that's been the very key point to getting where we are with the fisheries at the minute in terms of the management. And yes, you know, I think once we get that um, recruitment around the island again for King's Gallops and Queen's Gallops, then, you know, I am very confident that we're going to be in a place to manage that well uh, now. But it's it's been a process of uh, an evolving process. It's not come, you know, all at once. And really everything has just come together with the long-term management plans uh, put in place. You know, the science has been there and we've got a good history of that. And then the engagement from all sides, from government, industry and science, um, you know, that we're all working together for the same reason at the minute. So it's good. Oh, that is good. Um, one thing that uh, did strike me was uh, I was looking through the... The weight and value of fish landed by species 2018 to 2021, which Peter kindly shared with me in advance of the programme. And uh, I thought, gosh, whelks, wow, where did they come from? Because certainly when I was, uh, I think, came back the second time as fisheries minister in 2011, there was there really wasn't much by way of a, a whelk fishery at all. Uh, and I noticed, uh, looking back at some of the figures, there were um, the value of the catch in 2011 was about 200,000. By 2018, that had gone up to 1.2 million, um, and then it's tailed off fairly significantly since, so that by 2021 it was down to just 600,000, the value, and tonnages pretty much matching the, the change. Is this an example of a fishery that needs a bit more regulation and maybe... It it was overfished um, back in uh, 2018, and uh, we need to be a bit more careful about uh, the, 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 the amount that we catch in that sector. Yeah, I mean, from our point of view, I guess the scallop fisheries are the ones that we would really consider data rich. We have a lot of data um, on those, both from the fisheries uh, aspect and from independent sort of science as well. Um, the pot fisheries are ones that are, are coming up to that same level. So, um, for example, we have a lot of spatial data for the scallops that we haven't had in the past for the static gear pot fisheries like whelk. But that is changing now. We're having um, IVMS coming in and also the level of data collection that the fishers are um, are providing is changing as well. So the idea from the science point of view, certainly the focus of this sort of period of uh, our current five-year contract is trying to get those pot fisheries up to the same level of data so that we can begin to do surveys and stock assessments um, on these species as well. So from our point of view, yeah, it really is getting the data there to to have the same evidence that we have from um, the scallop fisheries, but probably Jack or David is probably better. Uh, and and actually, well. David, I mean... Uh, I, I know um, from uh, experience the uh, the um, the battles perhaps that go on between the the static fishermen um, in terms of where they they place their pots and these incredibly well guarded secrets as to where they fish and said secrets have probably uh, been passed on from father to son over generations. Um, you can kind of understand why people might be a little bit cagey about wanting to share. Uh, too much data uh, in terms of where they're catching um, in case somebody gets a hold of a, a report from the department and uh, uh, and the next thing everyone's wanting to fish in the same place. Yeah, the, I think the data is anonymised so they won't know exactly which boat is fishing where um, when it's presented. But um, the key thing is you, you have to have data nowadays. You, you, you can't have a fishery without the science to back it. it um, it's our duty to fish sustainably with all the species. 
and uh, and whale is no different. I think really with the whale crab and lobster industry, it's it's getting to the right level of again number of boats, but also the number of pots um, that each boat can have. And I don't know if we know what the ideal number would be at the moment. So, uh, but that's all developing as we're going along. I think the thing with the, also with the whelk fishery, especially in 2020, was that was one of the fisheries that carried on through COVID, and uh, and and yet the markets didn't carry on through COVID. Mm-hmm. So there was a large amount of uh, whelk stored frozen on the Isle of Man, um, and so that's slowly been uh, processed and uh, and worked through. So processors wouldn't welcome a lot of whelk landings at the moment in a way so whether that's down whether there is a whether there is a drop in the uh, amount of whelk out there i'm not sure but certainly the amount of fishing has, has reduced but th- that may be due to the stockpiling of the of the product in, in max processing and i suppose i i've, I've just beautifully uh, given a, an example as to why you should not just rely on on one set of figures to <laughs> to manage your fishery um Peter, Peter Duncan, then, um, in terms of support for the, the fishery sector, what, what kind of support is there available now? What, what, does, what does government do to support the sector? Obviously, we've discussed some of the management stuff, but uh, what, what other things uh, does the department uh, get engaged with to help the fishery sector? There's a couple of points I'll make, and then I'll pass it on to Jack, and he can cover other aspects. I mean, I think a good example, and... A rare example, but quite an extreme one, is was the COVID situation where where government provided some monies to the fishing industry to take it through one of the most difficult times it's it's really ever been through. So that's a practical but emergency measure. And I would actually probably linking back to some of the things that we've we've done. I think what government has provided industry and why we have got to the position we are in now is a mechanism for industry to deliver advice, recommendations of measures that they would like to see. And importantly, government has provided that forum and then enabled it to happen and delivered on some of those things. So I I personally think that a mechanism for industry to direct fishery management and inv- get involved in co-management is something that not all governments do and it's something that we have done and I think it's paid dividends because it's like a positive feedback loop. Once the industry sees benefits of engaging and sees that management can improve, then they're more inclined to get involved. And we have a situation, as evidenced by the folks sitting around this table, where where government science and the industry are working very well together and that can't be said for, for everywhere else. Jack? Yeah, I suppose um, on on the the nuts and bolts of um, what support is available, I guess there's the, there is the fisheries grant scheme, um, and I think it's fair to say that that has not been as successful as we had hoped. It was launched at the same time as the strategy in 2015, um, and it's a lot less on a per vessel basis compared to what UK vessels are eligible for, even before Brexit, but now post Brexit as well. There is additional support schemes in in the UK. One thing that I'm preparing to do in the in the near term is to um revise the strategy um and 
I think a lot of people get bored of hearing about government strategies being rolled out, but I think it is really important for fisheries now that post-Brexit there is a, a clear route and direction of travel. And as part of that, we will be looking at the fisheries grant scheme as well. You know, I've, I've spoken to fishermen down in Peel at the, the hub down there, and, and they've made it very clear to me how it's how it's not meeting the the uh, their expectations or their needs. So we're, we're going to be looking at that definitely. And one of the things we've done recently, you know, working again with closely with David is, is um, branched out and looked to other departments and organizations and seeing where they can help as well. So um, Lee Clark at the Isle of Man Maritime, which is, is part of the Department for Enterprise responsible for careers in maritime industries. We're now working more closely with them to make sure that there's support available for training and stuff like this. So uh, I think there's a lot of work to be done, but um, it's it's certainly going to be done. Yeah. I think there's two aspects. Sorry, I think there's two aspects to this. Um, when you say support from government, I, I think the one aspect we do have, which UK doesn't really have, is access to uh, experts. Um, you know, like we've got in this room, um, and also the flexibility to be mani- to manage um, and also make decisions quickly. Um, I'm part of the UK um, scholar working groups, and you you cannot imagine the difference between it's like chalk and cheese between the cooperation you have here between industry and and government, but also the speed of decision making. Um, and and the fact they can make a difference. I mean, that long-term management plan, for example, for the King Scallops. It was uh, I, I started a discussion paper off, um, and within two years we had uh, we had a consultation and we had a reduction in the number of boats and trying to get it to an e- economic level. So there's that is really positive. So, um, if you're looking at the financial side, we we are definitely the poor cousin compared to the UK in terms of support. We we get about a tenth compared to the UK vessels um, in terms of monetary support. Um, it, it is a, That is a problem because we have an ageing fleet um, and we've just scrapped two of our uh, traditional boats and, uh, you know, they never fish again, the, you know, the Venture again and the Spavamore both been scrapped recently. And that is just down to age. And uh, and we the problem is with the fact that the industry hasn't been profitable um, in the last few years is the fact that maintenance is, you know, it becomes more costly because you've got an aging boat. So, uh, yeah, we, we don't have access to those sort of things, um, which we obviously would like. Um, and going forward, diverse, if we're going to diversify into other species, again, support for purchase of nets and new equipment, etc., right. and also in the processing sector as well, which we totally rely on. Without the processing sector, we would, we would not have a fishing industry. So, so those two vessels that have been uh, scrapped recently, um, what sort of age would they be? They're from the seventies. Gosh, yeah. yeah. So these would probably have been uh, herring boats converted to catch scallops. Um, I'm not sure. I think probably the Spavin was, but uh, I don't know the full mm-hmm. history of them. But yeah, from the seventies, yeah, yeah, some of them would have been involved in. So, I mean, they've been all over the place. Those two boats, they've they've left the island. They've come back to the island. You know, they've you know been all over the UK. And a number of our other boats have. So they're not the only ones that are in the, from the 70s. There's there's a number of other vessels which are, are are from that decade as well, which are still fishing here. Um, the trouble is, is that when you get a boat like that, it costs more to maintain it. So uh, that in a turn affects your profitability. So, yeah, I mean, that sort of support would be welcomed and, and it's, it's uh, you know, part of a discussion going on. Um, there's also, in as far as the processing sector is concerned, is, is uh, possible assistance or... Um, 
whether that's an expertise or, or capital funding or whatever, um, to uh, increase the amount of freezer space that we have on the Isle of Man, which is, is a limiting factor on our contribution to the GDP. Um, if we had sufficient freezer space on the Isle of Man, we could increase the amount that we're exporting for sure. And uh, that's that's probably we're probably going to need it because if we're going to uh, diversify into these other species, and also if we've got a greater share, um, a greater manx share of the available catch from scallops, we're we're going to need uh, better infrastructure on the Alaban. And in terms of the overall value then of of the court uh, fishery, uh, Peter, I mean, what 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 are we talking about? I, so I suppose it de- it depends on how you measure it. There's the first sale value, or then there's the processed and exported value. But um, David might be able to speak better about the the overall value. But I think if you, if you if you total up the the, the simple symbol the simple quayside value, then it's um, three three million, two to three million. Um, roughly. But that's just the scallops, not not the. Crab no, if you if you if, scallops is about two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so about f- five five million ish um, in, in total. Uh, yeah, well, and, and then of course the processors get a hold of it, and uh, that they they work their magic, and and the value significantly increases. Then. Yeah, I mean the uh, the peak it was uh, talked about as being about twenty million, but it's not that now. You'd be talking about seven to eight million in total now, but there is that uh, possibility to expand that. You know. It, by quite a lot, <laughs> you know, with this increased max share, as I said, in the king scallops and uh, and the queen scallops, uh, and if we manage to diversify, yes, yeah, certainly the GDP can go up. And um, in terms of government's investment in the sector, then, as a you know, proportion of the seven million that uh, effectively feeds in, how how much uh, does does the government grant scheme dish out in the, in the on a year, um, maybe? Uh, um, Jack, you you might have a, a better feel on that. I've got an answer, but it's not a good one. It's forty-two thousand pounds. Yeah, is yeah. the total value of um, the fisheries grant. Mm. Um, that has been increased in the past. For example, I think it was twenty nineteen. It was increased temporarily to allow for diversification. Yes. But at the time, there was you know the diverse diversification bolt onto that um, allowed for some purchase of equipment to go fish for other species, but it didn't really answer the quota questions. So No, I think the value was an additional 125,000, I think it was. Yeah, I think that sounds yeah. about right. Yeah, but, it was before my time. But. Yeah, but we'd, as I said to the minister at the time, but, you know, could we also have a cheque for three quarters of a million to buy the quota? <laughs> so we, we could actually use this gear to go fishing, you know. Yeah. And uh, actually, um, uh, Peter, then, I mean, something like that, um, you, you would imagine if you if if government were able to assist in buying quota, uh, that's then uh, effectively allowing the fleet to bring significant additional value in on a on a much longer term basis. So is is that something that governments can do? It's it's rare t- for it to happen that way, and I think the issue is buying quota is probably a short term measure, and as we as we've discussed really for for a business to plan ahead it needs to secure that quota in the long term so i think government's role in something like that would be to um to negotiate the, the access to it um and then industry's role is, is is to decide what they want and 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 get get hold of it i'd, I'd make a couple of points actually which we might take for granted about if you like government government investment in the industry and it's, it's more than just grants obviously Something that we, as I said, we do perhaps take for granted, but perhaps shouldn't, is the the enforcement capacity 
that government provides as well as the science um, that, that Bangor do. Obviously, the, the data is at the heart of, of long-term and sustainable management. Without that, we really wouldn't be in that position. And so government fund that. Um, and obviously, the more successful you get, the more people you attract within within reasons. We've taken measures to, to limit that, obviously. But, but enforcement becomes an important part of, of any fisheries management, and that's a substantial asset for, for the department or for, for the government in general and is, is a, a, a requirement for, for any responsible management system. And certainly in, in terms of enforcement, uh, even in uh, recent months, we've seen quite significant uh, fines uh, um, handed out to people. So, is is this a, a a change in terms of the department's approach, or or is this just uh, the, um, the 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 people who 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 hear the cases so t- taking a greater interest and and um, putting in heftier fines? I I think it's important that the legislative system takes it seriously. If if the if the penalties for 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 breaking the rules were were minimal and showed no um, disincentive, then that would be a bad thing. And I know again over time, I think that the severity, the the seriousness of of, of fisheries offences has been emphasised by the department and its engagement with with the the AGCs. Um, but obviously, those two things are completely independent and and should should remain so. Um, so the department um, does its role in, in enforcing the legislation and, and as necessary, bringing cases um, in front of the, the, the legal system. But, but the, legal, the legal system does its own. Yeah, so just to clarify the role of the department in, in that area, it's, uh, we, we, we create the regulations, the regulations dictate the rules, um, the enforcement team go out to observe whether the rules are being complied with and if they're not then they collect evidence of non-compliance. The AGCs then determine whether it's a sufficient uh, offence um, to to then take to court to prosecution and, and the courts themselves are independently, uh, quite rightly independently responsible for setting the penalties. Um, so the department's role in that process actually ends pretty early on. Um, uh, and the but the severity of the fines, yeah, has been noted in the press. Um, I guess, you know, it, it'd be completely inappropriate for I think any of us to really comment on that here. But um, one thing I would say is that you know I've been contacted by uh, fishing organisations in the UK, and, and they've asked the question of how do you get your courts to take this seriously because they're finding it very challenging actually to to have uh, broad compliance good compliance um and you know once somebody starts breaking the rules then it's it sets an unhelpful precedent especially um if if the, if there is no real penalty for breaking the rules oh, i think you're right I and mean, I, I think it, there's no point in having management proposals and uh, trying to improve a fishery if you can't enforce it mm. and it is a considerable cost to the the department the other thing i should mention is one thing i, I didn't mention before is the fact that um, the assistance we get from government, as I said, is is in, in different ways, and and one of the ways is is through the banker contract, and without that, we wouldn't have the science to be able to do what we're doing. So, that I'm not belittling what support mm. the government give. It's in it's done in different ways, um, 
but uh, I think going forward, we, we we do have an aging fleet, and and we if we get quoted, we do need assistance, and and perhaps a, the the processors will also need assistance going forward. Um, you know, so. Uh, it, but I think all of those things will bring more money back into the island. Mm. So I, I think it's a positive step um, that we're talking about this. And I'm hoping for positive uh, note because we are uh, within a few minutes of the end of the programme. Um, how how confident, Dave, uh, obviously you're speaking uh, for the industry to a certain extent, how confident are you in the, the coming, uh, I suppose, 5, 10, 20 years for the Manx fishing uh, industry? Right, well, we've got, in, in terms of the highest earning fishery the king scallop we've got this long-term management plan in place and as we said before if we do get some good recruitment and there are very good signs out there at the moment that there is a there is a good uh, level of juveniles in a lot of areas around the Isle of Man then the industry should be profitable going forward and uh, with the number of boats at the right level then um, it, sh- it should be just such a level that we actually can afford to have more crew because one skeleton crew at the moment um, and uh, we should also benefit from young people coming into the industry like you said about Isla Gale and um, we've got a number of uh, other people of that age coming into the industry all, all basically from fishing families but we'd like to uh, be in the situation whereby people outside the traditional f- fishing families are interested in a career in fishing um, and we're certainly in the right place with King Scallops going forward and uh, the other fisheries will follow no doubt so I, I, I am far more positive than I was when I first came to this industry eight years ago far more positive well what better way to finish the programme that was Isabel Bluer Peter Duncan David Beard and Jack Emerson there are great opportunities to reinvigorate our fisheries it seems And maybe we will go back to Spuds and Herring. Please get in touch with Phil Gorn at manxradio.com and let me know your thoughts and views on this programme and let me know what you would like me to talk about in future shows. But for now, I'm Phil Gorn. Goromayos and Geistek Rom. Thanks for listening. <laughs>